Hello, Remote Start Nation, and welcome to Remote Start, the podcast for the individual who wants to start a business, build a lifestyle brand, and do it all while living the lifestyle they desire. Our goal is to help you take that idea, skill, or passion and turn it into a profitable, scalable business that thrives within your community. I'm Jim Doyon, your host, and I am on a mission along with special guests to help you understand yourself, the lifestyle you truly want from your business, and what it takes to start and scale it through systems and creating a sought-after brand. Regardless of the industry or where your small business is at in its growth stage, Remote Start is packed with lessons, stories, and the do's and don'ts of how to get where you want. So my simple question to you, what are you ready to start? If it's in business, branding, or lifestyle, then start it now and join the Remote Start Nation. Without further ado, let's get this show started. What is up, Remote Start Nation? Let's get something started. I'm Jim Doyon, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Remote Start, where I bring you stories and strategies on how to start a business, build a brand, and create your desired lifestyle. On today's episode, we're going to discuss starting a business, growing a brand, and how one entrepreneur's relationship with cannabis has sparked his latest business venture, the the Salt Lake City startup Reefer. Justin Kahn is a mission-driven entrepreneur and investor who is currently building new markets for behavior-based legal service plans. He's an adjunct instructor and mentor in the Masters of Business Creation Program at University of Utah. He's also the founding member of the entrepreneurial community Pando Labs based in Park City. Justin also founded and was CEO of True Clinic, which sold in 2018. Now talk about a resume. Remote Start Nation, I'm beyond humbled and honored to have Justin join us today. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Justin Kahn. Hey, what's up, Startup Nation? Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the, the kind words and introduction. Absolutely. I'm stoked on this and I can't wait to get started. So with that, Justin, tell me something about you or your business journey that's different. It's it's different than someone else. Uh, my path to entrepreneurship was an accident followed up by a mistake that eventually turned into something that was pretty awesome. Uh, I The reason why I got into starting companies was I realized very early on that I didn't want to work for somebody else. And if I was going to work as hard as I was going to, that I wanted to be able to enjoy the the fruits of of my own labor. Um, And when I had looked to become an entrepreneur, I came up with a strategy that was basically, I needed to look for problems that impacted me directly and look for a solution out there. And if there was not a solution, that met my needs, that that was the opportunity to develop a product or a service and, and, and create something that hopefully other people would find benefit in. So how many businesses have you started? This is my, my fourth. And so with that first business, do you remember, let's go back. Do you remember what it was that wasn't out there that you realized, Hey, I can, I can make a change here. Yeah, so this is back in the late 90s. Um, I was uh, a DJ and into electronic music, 
spinning records, playing in different nightclubs around Salt Lake City, and realized that there was not a production company that was capable of bringing national and international electronic acts to Salt Lake City. So I started a company with a good friend of mine, a guy named Wade Hampton, uh, and we created a production company called Rockstar. And we brought in most of the DJs and electronic acts through the late 90s and into the mid 2000s and uh, booked for different nightclubs and venues here in Salt Lake and then also did a fair amount of traveling and also did work with uh, the, the Sundance Film Festival. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, with four companies, uh, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. It comes in many different forms. Like talk to me a little bit about what you, what you feel on that. Well, I, I mean, so I am an expert in nothing, I would say. And that fear of not knowing is never really been a barrier to me to not pursue something because the knowledge is out there, you know? So company one was a production and promotion company because I knew a lot about music and I was connected in the industry. Um, company two was a real estate consulting company. Uh, and there I learned that trade from other people and then created, set up my own company, just mimicking that, that, that service. Company three was the big leap when I went from a services type company to creating a software company. Uh, and I knew nothing about software, software development. I it was a telemedicine software company. I'm not a doctor, uh, did not know, you know, security protocols, did not know a lot of different things, but I knew that there was a need to be able to have people be able to meet with their doctor through a secure video call. And so, you know, in, in 2007, 2008 is when I started working on this idea. When this is pre-iPhone, this is pre-video calling, pre-Zoom, yeah. you know, how we think about it now. But I knew that it was a really good idea. And so that began my path towards learning about the industry and and recruiting a team and building the type of product that would, would resonate in that, that industry. And the skills that I learned there have now translated into my fourth company, not because they're related in any way, but just because of the fact that as you learn and develop your skill set, you realize that you have capabilities that you may not have known that you had before based on the experiences that you've been through. That's awesome. So with four different businesses, four completely, some business to business, some direct to consumer, you know, let's talk about some of the challenges you face with each one of those. <laughs> okay, well, uh, production company was spending a lot of time out of the home and inside of nightclubs, you know, like it got old after a while. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and so that that was a you know, what I realized is, is that some work is harder than other work and some work takes a greater toll on you than other work. <laughs> uh, and, and so that, that led me out, out of that business. 
uh, I did really well in real estate. I just got bored of it. And, you know, like when you get bored of something, if you're like me, you just, you're, you're constantly looking for the next thing. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, with, uh, I, I would say the biggest challenge there was the repetition that got really old after a while. Um, same thing, same conversation, same process, you, you know, like you kind of want something more. Um, with True Clinic, which is the telemedicine software company, that company was an eye-opening experience at every level of my fabric and being. Um, I got so many things wrong. Um, but I had a great team of people that believed in what we were doing. And we were able to, over the course of many years, figure out a strategy that resonated with hospitals and health systems. But the only way that we got to that point was by failing, you know, the countless times before in the sales pitch and the strategy and the pricing and the services that you would add on top of it and the negotiations, you know, like there, there, there was a, a big learning curve. And, yeah. you know, the thing that, that I take away from, from that experience was I, it was really hard to fundraise because I had investors tell me you're not the guy or have investors say, well, it's a great idea, but you know, you, you're not the person to lead it, or you don't have the right team, or you don't have the right skill set, because you're not a doctor. And, you know, it was a lot of that, you're not the one to do this, that gave me a lot of the inspiration to be like, hold my beer, I'm going to go show you that I can do it. Good for you. And, and you know, it really taught me perseverance and taught me that, you shouldn't really always listen to other people. You should, you should like, you should respect their opinion and you should yeah. hear them out and, and know what they have to say. But, but if you believe in something and you're serious about it and you know that you have the patience and the skill set to see something through, then you should do it. And like that, that was like the big takeaway for me. And so after I sold that company, I started teaching up at the U and I was around all these young, hungry, kick-ass entrepreneurs that are all building their businesses. And it, I got the bug again, you know? And, and, and so I came back to, to the idea that I, I've had for over 20 years, which is I'm a responsible cannabis consumer, but I know that I'm one police interaction or one mistake away from potentially being accused of being under the influence of cannabis. And if that happens, that everything that I've worked for could potentially be taken away from me or could be, could, you know, impact me in negative ways. And it made me realize that if I have the same problem and the same fear, there are millions of other Americans across this country that, that go through that same kind of mental gymnastics between when they take their medicine and when they operate in daily life. Yeah. And with that, you know, let's talk about reefer a little bit more. You hit on, on, you know, the reason for coming up with this and, you know, how long has reefer been around? So I started the, the company back in 2021 
um, and we've been building. We've really just been uh, heads down, focused on making sure that we've built the technology, the platform, the strategy, the approach, marketing. Um, and so we launched in uh, Missouri in May of this year. Okay. And the launch has been going great. And then we are uh, getting ready to launch into South Carolina, uh, New Hampshire, and North Dakota, and then Oregon and Georgia thereafter. That's awesome. And it, and as cannabis continues to be more widespread, use becomes more widespread throughout the, the U.S. and um, hopefully legalized and recreational everywhere. I mean, this is this has a great opportunity to not just be a great business, but really help a lot of people. That's, that's our hope. And, you know, I, I mean, the thing about the, that I want to address is that because consumption is, or consumption is becoming more acceptable, either through medicinal or recreational means, the reality is, is that it's still illegal to drive under the influence in all 50 states, and it will continue to be so regardless of whatever happens at a, at a federal state or, or legalization uh, level. And, and so as more people start using cannabis for whatever their, their reason, there, there is a greater pool of people that are at risk. And there is no test for cannabis impairment other than a police officer's perception. And if a police officer suspects that an individual is under the influence of cannabis, the only way to test if cannabis is actually in your system is through a blood or a urine test. And that means that if an individual is subjected to this, they would be arrested, their car would be towed and impounded, they would be taken to jail, fingerprinted and ID'd, potentially need to get bailed out. But then if uh, once they, they get the results back from their drug test, if they have any amount of THC or cannabinoids in their system or a nominal amount depending on their state, then they would be charged with a cannabis DUI. And all of those expenses that are incurred you know, that all happens from, from the time that the person is arrested all the way up to hiring a lawyer. All of those expenses are incurred before an individual has ever even been charged with a crime. Wow. And, and so what Reefer is, is it's a legal defense plan or a legal expense plan, however you want to think about it, but where an individual pays a minimum of $15 a month and in exchange for that, if they're charged with a cannabis crime, so possession, paraphernalia, public intoxication, or a DUI, then a $15,000 expense plan kicks in to cover all the legal and all those life disruption expenses that I just named off to make sure that the individual is protected from the financial consequences that can come from being accused of a cannabis crime. That's huge. That's a, that's an unbelievable opportunity to, it's, it's like a, it gives peace of mind. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's what it's designed for, right? It's designed to be something that's super low cost that, you know, is not going to break the bank to have that level of coverage, but yet also to have a high benefit that if somebody does end up in this situation, 
that they're going to get money to actually help them get through this, right? Because that's the thing that nobody really talks about with criminal charges is it's one thing to go through the criminal justice system, but it's another thing on all of these life disruption expenses that come from having to go through this process, like losing your license, having to find alternative transportation to get to work, you know? And, And so these are the expenses that we step up to cover. And we're able to do that because we're excluding all of the other things that traditional insurance would carry and focusing in on the things that traditional insurance would not cover. And that's the benefit that we offer to people. So where where can the Remote Start Nation find if they want to look into your services more? Where can they find this? Where, where, where should they go? So you can go to reefer.com. That's R-E-E-P-H-E-R.com. Or you can find us on any of the socials at Team Reefer, T-E-A-M. R-E-E-P-H-E-R. Awesome. Thank you. So I want to go back to, let's go back to just your entrepreneurial journey for a minute. And, you know, you've had success now with multiple companies. Is there something, is there a set process that you do? Is there something that you follow uh, in in just growing your business? If, if there was something that you could recommend to, a, a startup in the remote start nation that, Hey, this is the one thing I think you should do, or this is something that I've found since success. And what would that be? Document. The, the thing about being an entrepreneur is you get a thousand different ideas, both your own and from other people coming at you all the time, whether you want it or not. And, you know, a lot of the time you need time to, to process where you're at currently, what you want to do in the future, what you've already done, and try and figure out how to put that together in a plan. So if you're not using Kanban boards or even sticky notes or whiteboards, you know, like that's where you start. So you can start outlining your entire project and start thinking about all of the different things that you need to do. But like the biggest thing that I would say that I do is I use a Google Doc. I keep all my daily notes in it. Every day, just new day, put all my notes as I'm going through different things. Then of my notes, I create uh, project plans in Asana. You know, I use Jira for the technical stuff. Then, you know, with my team, we do two stand-up meetings a week where we're going through what we're working on. What do we need help with? Do we have any blockers? But everything is managed from the project board, right? So we know where everything is and where everyone and at each stage. And I really find that that keeps me organized and on task. And it doesn't allow me to get distracted by the next shiny, it'd be cool if you could do this kind of thing. Right. Right. And like, I, I've made a note of it. It's something I'll come back to at some point in the future. But right now I, I, have my current project in front of me and that's what I'm going to focus on. That's great advice where you something, uh, something similar that I do. Um, I, I bought an iPad a year and a half ago and I, I started using the notes on there and every day, like I'll start my weekly note. And then every day I write my notes in that. And then before I start my next week, I go back and I review those notes and then I start projects from it. And, you know, to me, that's been a complete game changer. It's, it's amazing how much you forget, 
Right. And you don't know until you start documenting. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that conversation I had. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, something something I wanted to ask you, I know being an entrepreneur, it's easy to get down on yourself. And, you know, what what are some things you can give advice to the, the remote star nation about, you know, just uh, when you're an entrepreneur and, and some of the things that might come up and how you handle it? I, the, the best piece of advice that was ever given to me was by my father. And I was 30 years old. I had not started True Clinic yet. I didn't feel like I had a lot of money at that point and was kind of freaking out and was down on myself. And my dad looked at me and he goes, I don't understand you. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, <laughs> he goes, I just don't understand why you're freaking out. He goes, I've never known you to not be successful at anything that you've done. Period. He's like, so what are you worried about? He like, just go and do it and you'll figure it out. And I was like, huh? Like he gave me permission to go be successful. That's like yeah. what it felt like. But the, the thing that I would say to, to, to your listeners is that, you know, don't judge yourself too harshly or too exuberantly, right? Like this is not a, a sprint by any stretch of the word. An average entrepreneur is in a company if, if they to have a successful exit for 10 years. Yeah. And so you don't want to let your emotional energies get tied up in self-worth or I got the sale or I didn't get the sale or, or you know, what, whatever it is that the next thing that you need to get done is just know that there are 10,000 things after that, that you still have to get done. So I don't like using the word compartmentalizing, you know, because that sounds like what that implies that you'll come back and deal with that emotional aspect of it later. And as someone who has done that, I would say it's not a very healthy way to live and to exist as you know, while you're while you're building your business. The best piece of advice that I could give is, is just know that every day there's more work to do. And so you get up and you do it. And when you're done, you're done. And when you're done with it, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it because it's going to be there tomorrow and you're going to come back to it. So make sure that you have the time that you need to decompress, to recharge, take a day off when you need it. Like I know most of your listeners that are starting companies would say, I would never take a day off, but trust me, take a day off from time to time because you need it. You definitely need it. That just to clear your mind, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, travel before the, the episode started. And, you know, I could tell you like getting away for a weekend and just being in the calm, just quiet and, and letting yourself think. And I, I, even mountain biking for me, like going on mountain bike rides and taking an hour or two out of my day just to clear my head. Like it, I come back such a stronger person. Yeah. I, I do the same thing with skiing and hiking, you know, and I, and I do stupid little life hacks. Like I I'm on the fifth floor in my building. Right. But I take the stairs every time. Like anytime I get up from my desk and go leave for whatever reason, even if I don't want to, I take the stairs because it, it gets your your heart rate going. It gets the endorphins going a little bit. So, you know, like I, I realize that time is a limited commodity, but it really comes down to making the most that you can out of every moment. 
especially in the downtime moments that you have to reconnect with yourself, to recharge, to rebalance, and to make sure that you're in a good space. Because as the leader of the company, you know, you're the one driving the boat all the time and you got to always kind of keep an eye out for, for choppy waters ahead. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice. Let, let's talk about someone who hasn't started a business before someone who's sitting in an office working for somebody else like you and I did at one point and they're saying to themselves like I should I want to do this I want to do this is there any advice you'd give to them yeah I I mean so I, I do a lot of consulting with with entrepreneurs at all different stages um and the the thing I would say is is there's no such thing as a wrong decision the only wrong decision is indecision right like if you've made a decision that you that you want to do something and that you want to move forward with it you know i i saw a great quote by matthew mcconaughey the other day which was just don't half-ass it yeah. and, and like that that's the other part of the, of what i guess what i would want to say is like if you want to do it do it but don't half-ass it because then you'll cause yourself to second guess like am i really doing it am i not really doing it you know, like don't quit your job tomorrow if you don't have a pathway towards revenue. But right. you've got an hour a day after work or you work from home and you've got blocks, you know, gaps in your schedule that you can do use for other things. That's the time that you can be using towards developing your business plan, towards finding investors, towards building advertising, marketing presence, you know, whatever it is that you may need to do with your respective business to get that first customer or that, that next customer. Yeah. And if you're taking steps in that direction and you can get to a point to where you see a pathway towards revenue, the next question that you need to ask yourself is, is this a scale business or is this a lifestyle business? And, and that will determine kind of your, your next course of action. And what I mean is, is, if, it, if it's a lifestyle business, that would be a coffee shop, a radon inspector, a real estate agent, a, you know, whatever it is. But it's something where the amount of money that you make is tied to the service or the limited product that you can provide. A scale business is like a software company or something where you've got to make 10,000 of something and sell 10,000 of something to be able to, to continue going. And in, in those types of a business, you need typically investors, you know, and that could be friends and family. It could be venture capital. It could be somewhere in, in the middle. But those types of businesses are the types of businesses that at some point you're going to sell for a multiple because that's why the investors that you had that you brought in want to invest into you is because they want to get a return. And the only way to do that is by you at some point in the future selling the company or taking it to public, which very yeah. few companies do. So, you know, like once you know what the type of business it is that you want to do, going back to what I was saying about documenting, start building a plan. Like, do I need to build a business plan? Do I need to do a, a SWOT analysis? Do I need to, 
talk to potential who would be my potential customers and see if they would buy a product or a service like what it is that I want to develop and do a lot of intelligence gathering before you really ever spend any money. Because and something you hit on before that I want to hit on that point right there Yeah. Uh, for, for the remote star nation is when you're getting feedback, don't get intimidated. Don't get discouraged. Like write it down, right? Like if you've got to tweak some things, tweak it, but don't go too often. I hear people and that's why I want to bring this up because you said it like they hear feedback and they, oh, this isn't going to work. So and so said this isn't going to work. Yeah. No, that's not what they mean. It means do your research more to understand more about who your true client is, right? Like that person you asked might not be the person that's going to buy your product. And so that, listen, but don't don't take it to heart. That so is, I, yeah, <laughs> the, what you what you said right there is. I, I would say going back to don't listen to people, yeah. listen to people, right? But don't always listen to them because, exactly. you know, like in, in my case, right? Like the persona of, of, the, of the type of customer that we believe is our target customer is someone in their mid to late 20s to their mid to late 40s. They are starting off careers, families, they have something to lose. Right. And, and so we feel like based on the research that we did, you know, poll surveys, field testing, pop ups, all uh, Facebook ads, all testing this theory, we finally settled in on this persona. And that was all before we ever spent a dime on marketing. Right. Yeah. And what we've learned is that surprisingly, there is a contingency of 45 to 65 year olds that we knew were there because they're getting prescribed or recommended cannabis later in their life. They don't have a lifetime of experience with it and could end up in a situation where they took their medicine, have a police interaction and test positive for cannabis. Right. Yeah. And so we learned that there was actually a bigger market there that was interested in our product than we had originally thought of. But we wouldn't have known that until we did this first round of advertising with who we thought our ideal target persona was. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without doing all of that research first. So, you know, to somebody who says, I don't think that like if you were to tell them their, your idea and they said, I don't think that's a great idea. The next question is awesome. Tell me why. Tell me right? why. Exactly. Tell me Big why. Deeper. Right. And, and to, to your point, to document it, but I would say that as you're going through this process, that where you know you're on to something is if somebody who you talk to says, I don't get it, or I don't think it's a good idea, and through your communication skills, your quick communication skills, let me be very clear about that, yeah. that you are able to convince someone that what you're doing is right or, or that will work, that's when you know that you're on to something, right? Like when I first started talking about DUI insurance for cannabis users, I cannot tell you the amount <laughs> of people that looked at me squirrely and said, wait, what? Like, I don't get it. Why would you need that? It's legal in my state or whatever. And it's because they didn't understand the full problem. They're not yeah. cannabis users. They're not our target market. They have valid feedback, but it, it's 
it's gathering all of this information and ciphering through it to really figure out if there is a market that will buy your product or service. Yeah, that's a good call. Now, Justin, you had hit on, I want to go back to something else you had said. Uh, you had hit on investing and fundraising and um, you know a couple different times. And through your different businesses, have, have you seeked fundraising through all of them or? Uh, no. Uh, okay. I have sought fundraising for two of them. Okay. Uh, so the, with True Clinic, we raised a little over 1.2 million over the course of nine years. Never raised a dime of venture capital, just quite frankly, because I couldn't get any of them to give me any money. Uh, I uh, spent a lot of time trying and eventually gave up and just said, yeah. screw it. I'm going to go build a company based on revenue and I'm going to grow it slower and that's fine. And I'm just going to keep my head down and not play the game and, and go after it. And that strategy worked. Um, so, and it was a great return. You know, my investors got a 12 to a 16 X return uh, on their investment. So it was definitely a, a great win. Um, with this new company, with Reefer, we are currently in the process of fundraising. Uh, we've raised a little over 800000 so far and are about to uh, start raising for our seed round. And we'd like to raise between two to four million. And that's when you start getting into the angels and early stage VCs. Yeah. And so we're going through due diligence and evaluations with, with multiple companies right now. Have you seen a lot of change in that landscape from now how you're going about it to how you went about it before? Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the investment landscape, the higher up the food chain of money that you need to raise is, is very much always impacted by both macro and micro economic conditions. So right now, you know, you, you hear in the VC community or in the VC world that a lot of VC capital is drying up. You're also seeing VCs and what they, what are called like super angels, you know, right, like five hundred thousand dollar or more checks, yeah. are moving further down the the investment uh, cycle than they used to be. Uh, they're looking at earlier stage deals, but almost all of the deals that I I'm seeing getting funded or that I'm participating in. You know, these are all companies that are generating revenue, have a proven business model, um, have worked out a lot of the operational kinks that exist and are ready for growth capital. That seems to be the kind of the prevailing sentiment right now yeah. is if you're still building, you're too early to raise VC, you need to be friends and family or early stage angels. And once you're ready for scale as super angels and, and uh, early stage VCs. So would you recommend someone that's not in that phase, like you said, that's already at already has everything figured out to go to family and friends and, and go to them first before trying to go anywhere else? I would. And, and, you know, like, let me just add the caveat that I am, you know, spending a lot of time learning about crowdfunding. And, and different strategies from like the, 
the easy side, which would be like a GoFundMe to the more complicated, like going through WeFunder, right? And and depending on what you want to do there, I just want to at least point out that crowdfunding may be an option, but to do a successful crowdfunding campaign, it actually costs a fair amount of money to do that in terms of production value and marketing and advertising and, and things like that. So crowdfunding may or may not be a pathway for you. If you're at a stage where you're still in the ideation or conceptualization phase, my advice is don't raise any money. Do it, you know, like be bare bones, do what you can with what you have. If you don't know it, the internet does, you can do a lot of research and you can get yourself a, a good part of the way. Um, you know, and then you, you may need to involve a lawyer or an outside consultant, and you want to make sure that the people that you're working with understand that you're a startup and you don't have big budgets and that they need to work within the confines of the money that you have available to spend on it. And if they don't, they're not the right person for you. Right. And, and and so don't get bogged down in the fact that, you know, the lawyer at, at Greenberg Torig doesn't want to talk to you because you haven't raised $5 million, right? Like there's a smaller lawyer, smaller firm in your community that would be able to help you with a majority of the things that you would need to do until you needed to get highly specialized with something. And that's where I always let other entrepreneurs that are going through different scenarios of startups of, you know, get involved, get involved in the local chamber, get involved in local groups, go out and meet other entrepreneurs and and just network. Networking to me is such a great way for, for you to get out there and learn as an entrepreneur and, you know, learn from people that haven't, or that have already been there. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I, I I'll say two things you should, build up an arsenal of people that can help you, right? Mentors, advisors, other successful people in your life, right? Like they all have knowledge that you may not have. And so if you get stuck, that's always a a great place to to go. But to your point about the, you know, participating in entrepreneurial activities in your community, you know, people are, I find, are generally willing to tell you what they know. And so if you say, I need to learn how to do something, you know, they may say, well, I know how to do that, or I can refer you over to somebody else who might need to know. You just have to put forth the effort to have those conversations and to say, here's who I am. Here's what I'm working on. Here's my problem. I need help with this. Can you help me? Yes. Great. Let's talk. If not, hey, can you point me in the direction of somebody that might be able to help me? Exactly. And and to further on that comment, I, I believe in it so much. It's so important to ha- have a vision, have a mission, like understand who your customer is. It might change. That all might change. Right. But when you're talking to someone and asking them to help you out, asking them for advice, if you don't know that stuff, if you haven't done that, your the due diligence on your own to first truly understand what you're trying to do, who you're trying to serve as a customer then don't waste their time. Like get that figured out first. Right. I'll get, so I'll give you an example of like when I'm talking to an insurance company and they always ask, you know, like, what would you like? We're doing our introductions and I'll, I'll run through my quick pitch. And then I go through my ask. So I would basically say, okay, so we're 
a prepaid legal services plan company. We provide a financial benefit to our members. We're looking for distribution partners, for capacity, for reinsurance. And the reason why I scheduled this call is because I'd like to talk about those three areas and see if there's a way for us to collaborate together. Right. Right. So they know exactly what my intention is going into the call and that we can focus on that. And if they say, hey, we're not a right fit for you, I've gotten to that quick yes, you know, in a very efficient way where I can get 50 minutes of my day back to go back and work, work on other things. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a win regardless whether it's a no that they can't help you or or yes they can. It's a win because you're not wasting any more time. Right. Right. Well, Justin, I know our time's coming to an end. I know uh, we talked about Reefer and where the Remote Start Nation can find you. If they want to reach out to you personally or or try to get involved in investing within within your company, where can they find you? Yeah, they can reach out to me at my personal email. Uh, it's the letter J followed by my last name, which is K-A-H-N at Reefer, R-E-E-P-H-E-R.com. Awesome. So I have one more question. And I've asked a lot of the entrepreneurs that were on earlier episodes this. And when you said that your first business was in the music industry, I, I thought, wow, this is such a good question for Justin. So I know when I work, I like to listen to a certain kind of music depending on the mood I'm in or what time of day it is. When you're in straight focus mode, is there music on or no? Oh, always. Me too. What is it? What's your music of choice? <laughs> Depends on the day. Uh, I, I've been listening a lot to atmospheric jungle or drum and bass because okay. uh, I find like the steadiness of the beats is it gets my brain operating at a higher level. Um, in the morning, though, I typically am listening to a uh, combination of hip-hop, funk, jazz, and soul. Uh, nice. It gets my, my positive energies going for the day. And, and then, you know, like when I'm in my zone, it's like, all right, like pick up the tempo and, and let's go. I'm going to have to listen to that jungle beat you're talking about. I've been listening like... In the morning, I'm I'm similar. I'm like punk or hip hop or something that like metal even gets me going. And then when I'm ready to turn it on and, and get to work, it's usually switches to like binarial beats or like some type of like smooth, chill, chill beats on, on Spotify is a good one. Yep. But I'm going to try that up tempo. That might, I'll, that might I'll send you a playlist of uh, a, a series of songs from Hospitalized Records. They're a UK label. Cool. Um, amazing stuff. So I'll send it to you. You'll have to let me know what you think. I'll do that for sure. Well, thank you so much, Justin. I'm so happy that you were able to share today with us. I learned a ton from you and, and I'm absolutely honored. So thank you again. I, I really, really appreciate it. Remote Start Nation. I really hope you can put some of the value that Justin dropped with us today into your life and go start something now. From the bottom of my heart, thank you all for joining me on this journey as I help you to start a business, grow your brand, and create your desired lifestyle. Remember, leave a comment, subscribe, and share this episode with anybody in your community who you think could learn from what you heard today. Until next time, go start something, start today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. We'll see you next time, Remote Start Nation. Well, Remote Start Nation, we have come to the end of another episode. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Woodward Movement. 
your go-to for brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head on over to remotestartpodcast.com or our social channels to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you on your journey. And as always, please don't forget to share the Remote Start Podcast with your friends and colleagues you think would enjoy being part of the Remote Start Nation. Until next time.